This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. All right, everybody. Yeah. Let's start. Parsh Vayakov, everybody. Vayakov, Pekude, really, this week. But Parsh Vayakov. The Pusik says, Periklamiches Pusik Havalu says, Vayvokalishishinaso Libo. Every man came whose hearts were lifted up. They were like raised. So, and anybody whose hearts, or their spirits wanted to donate. They felt like they wanted to give. Vayviu is Trumas Hashem. They brought the Trumas Hashem, the Malachas, Oamoid, Olacholavaraso, for the Malacha of the Oamoid, and for all the Avodah that was necessary over here. There's a lot of Rishonim here, so we'll just start with the Rabbeinu Ephraim. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says the the entire point of the policy is to tell you how awesome Bnei Yisrael was, how great a people they were. They immediately went out, they fulfilled the word of HaKadosh Baruch they quickly brought everything they were supposed to bring. It wasn't like, you know, they sat there and said, I don't know, I don't know. They do- did everything they were supposed to do. The Rabbin Bahaya talks about this as well. Their Zrizis was unbelievable. Their alacrity, therefore it's pointed out again and again by these Pesukim, that they had Nud Barucho, they had Nisolibam. They really wanted to do it. They really wanted to do it and they did exactly that. And the reason Rabbi Victor Miller says over and over and over again that the reason why this is mentioned is because this is one one of the only times that all of Klal Yisrael succeeded and did the right thing. This doesn't happen all the time. Where everyone was in. Everybody did the right thing. Nobody messed it up. And that's why we keep mentioning it over and over and over again. And it's if, says originally, Moshe Benu thought that these donations are going to be forced. That he's going to have to go up to them and say, listen, we need this, we need that. Even the Nisim thought that way. That's why they don't. They wanted to donate at the very end. They figured they'd give what's missing at the very, very end. That's why he said, Kehu me'itchem. Take it from them. He made gizbar he made collectors, these people that were going to be in charge, going around convincing them to do whatever they could. In the end, there was no need for them. Everybody came with everything they needed. They were done. And that's what this puzzle is trying to tell us. Now, the model Diskin, Rabbi Yishuel Leib Diskin, says the words refer to people who really had nothing to give, but wanted to give something anyway, right? Because of that desire, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure they had something to give. So there was like this idea of, I want to, but I have nothing. What do I do? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them something. If you want to be Matar, you want to be Tahor, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu helped him. And the Malbim seeks out this a little bit later on. All of a sudden, they found something to give. Maybe that's what happened in the Nesim. The Nesim didn't have anything to give. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure that the special stones for the Choshen, maybe the Avnei Shoham, depending on what the version of Rashi, that's what they ended up bringing in the end, because they really wanted to give, but there was nothing left. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave them the opportunity to do so by giving them something that came, so to speak, on their doorsteps. That that's what they were able to give. Yes, Shlomo, what's up? I would assume they had something, but that doesn't mean that they had what they need to donate. In other words, they might have had money, they might have had silver, they might have had something like that, but it doesn't mean that they had like specialized things, for example, the Tchilets, the Argaman, Tolashani, those types of things. Those things they didn't necessarily have, and certainly not the stones. The stones that they would need for the Choshen, which are these perfect stones, you know, that had to fit that amount, but they were huge. I'm sure that that was extremely difficult to get. But yes, that, that's the idea behind it. That's how Maldiskin, that's how he says it around. Now, the Ibn Ezra says that the words Niso Libo meant the people who were wise. Their hearts were uplifted by the words of Moshe Rabbi. They knew exactly what he wanted. They were ready to do it. So they got up and they did it, and that's that. They knew the mission would be, was going to be special. They immediately wanted to be a part of it. They said, this is for us, and they did it. That was Niso Libo. Hirsch says, those who did whatever they had to do felt themselves lifted up by this. They felt themselves elevated. They felt that they were better people because of this. And that's the idea. Once they gave, they felt they did something great. And that's the idea. I guess by somebody who really wants to give tzedakah and he does tzedakah, he does it and he gives it over to somebody and he feels like, I feel different because of that. I feel like I'm a different person because of that. That's how Rav Hirsch puts it. So that's that. Rabino Ephraim 
says there's a little bit of a difference. He says, Asher Libo refers to the Gidolim. It's when they brought their donations first. They were the first ones to come along. That's when everybody else followed up. They showed deference by allowing the Nesim to give it first. I shouldn't say Nesim. The great people first. The Talmud Echam first because the Nesim did not give it first. Right? They wanted to bring immediately because their love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, their love for Hashem and how much they were. They were willing to wait out of honor for those greater than them. And that shows a tremendous level that they were in a solely bomb. They wanted to do it and they were willing to wait. The Chassam Sofer says in Torah's Moshe, in a Sefer Torah's Moshe, the people knew that the gold donated to the Mishkan was going to be Machapa for the Egel Azov. So it makes sense that none of them wanted to give because it would look like if they brought the gold that they were the ones responsible for the Egel Azov, for the Cheda Egel. Right? So that's that. Now, the ones who outright did something by the Egel, they're already dead. The ones who loved the Egel, but they didn't really want to say anything, just thought it on the inside. They lived, they were around, some of them were killed in the plague, but others were still around. They themselves had to get a kapara for this, but they were afraid to give. That way, the leaders brought first, and so too the women, they brought first, they weren't involved in the Egel Azov, and then everyone else followed suit. That's why it says, Asher Libo, the great ones, donated first, the ones who didn't need it for the Egel Azov, the ones who wanted to give just simply put because it's the right thing to do, followed by Asher Nad Barucho, the people had to bring for themselves to be able to give themselves a kapara. And that's why it says right after, that the men came together with the women. It's the exact same basic idea. Those who didn't have to give, they were the ones around. Now the Orachim HaKadosh says, interestingly, there are three different types of donors. The first is someone who feels pain every time he gives something away. A guy who like, he knows he has to give, but it's a real big deal for him to pull out his wallet and to give Meiser and to take it off and to be giving from somewhere else. I still remember, look, everybody's in their own level and everybody does their own thing. When I was super duper poor, and I've talked about this before, when I lived in Eretz and we had absolutely nothing, it was really difficult to give Meiser. Extremely difficult to give Meiser. Anything we got was basically to be able to make our way through. And yeah, we got a Hetzer to be able to keep whatever we needed because we really couldn't afford it. And that was that. And we weren't spending money on anything frivolous. We weren't doing anything crazy. But we were super duper poor. It's a really hard thing together. And again, it's not like it got easier the more money I got. It's not like now it's all of a sudden like, my sir, I give 30%, right? It's not like that's how tzedakah goes. We all know that it's really, really difficult to get there. But that first initial hit, the time that you're there, that first guy that we're talking about here is the guy who really does have a hard time. He just doesn't feel good about it. That person is not even mentioned in these psukim. There was nobody like that when it came to the Mishkan itself. Because the Kaddish Baruch didn't want those donations in the Mishkan. Those types of people, he was not into. There's a second guy. The second guy is the guy who gives what he has. Even if it isn't that much, he does everything he's supposed to do. He's doing it out of the goodness of his heart. He knows it's the right thing to do, even though he doesn't have that much. So he does it. He goes in and he does it. That person is called Nadvarucho. Good guy. Good guy. He's doing what he has. But the third person, says the Orachim HaKadosh, is a guy who goes above and beyond what he has. He does more than what's expected from him. They look at him and they're like, can you donate this? And he surprises them by saying, what, you want $500? I'll give you a thousand. I'll give you a thousand. Not that he can necessarily afford it, but he's willing to do something that's more than what he normally would because he feels so good about that. Look, it's possible that I don't want to spend that much money, but it's something that's so awesome, so near and dear to my heart. That's something that really hits me. I have it. I remember when my son really had an issue with Perthes. Like, I, I think I talked about this before with his, this disease that he had in his leg with a little thing, right? Something weird where he couldn't move his leg or whatever it was. It's a long, long story. 
So my wife wanted to do something for her because High Lifeline helped a tremendous amount. And thank God, he is totally healthy and there's nothing wrong with him today, right? But he had that during that time for about a year and a half and High Lifeline was tremendously helpful. helpful. So my wife went out to be able to raise money for High Lifeline. She wanted to do something for them. And I remember one person who called us up, somebody who has nothing, mamish, we didn't think they had any money whatsoever, gave us a check for $2,500. And they told us that they were extremely affected by the story of what happened to my son. And they don't really have that much, but they have a little bit of savings and they felt like this is what they wanted to give. Not a from couple, totally not from, but they felt like they wanted to give to a certain thing. You know, something like hits you right there and you say like, that's for me, that's my thing. I want to hear about that. So apparently this was something that person got affected by, not specifically Perthes, that only happens one out of every 200,000 kids, but something like that, something like this type of idea. And immediately they came with a huge check, Something we momish never would have thought in the world that they would have given. Because that's that. That's the third person. That's Niso Olivo. Their heart raises them above. They say to themselves, I'm going to go beyond. There's a generosity of the spirit that happens by that guy. And those are the three types of donors that we have over here. The guy who knows he has to give and doesn't really want to and it feels like it's terrible. The one who gives because he knows he's supposed to. So he gives and he's happy. But it's, you know, he gives exactly what he has to do. And the person who goes above and beyond, right? The first guy that's not even mentioned here, the Nadvarucho and the Niso Libo, the person who's right there. In this Pasuk, the word Ish only appears by Niso Libo. There's an Ish, Asher Niso Libo. Then there's the Kol, Asher Nadvarucho. And that's the difference between them. The person who's in Ish is a true Tzaddik. The person who does Niso Libo is unbelievable. It's not that the second guy isn't. A Nadvarucho is also an awesome guy. But you can't compare one to the other. The guy who's in Ish, the guy who's in Niso Libo is willing to do that much more. We have to mention him as something special. We have to do that. And that's the idea behind it. So that's the idea behind Nadva Rucho versus Niso Libo. Yeah, Shalom. Yes, there is something that's awesome in the beginning of Truma. The Orachim HaKadur speaks about it over there, but he doesn't compare it to over here. So I'm not going to bring it up, but yes, you're right. There is another issue that's mentioned over there, Kol Yisha Shayid Venu Libo. That's what you're talking about, right? Toward the beginning of the Pasuk, 100%. There's a Ksavah Kabbalah that also says, he says two types of donors. Two altogether. Some give because their souls are begging them to do it, but their Gashmias pushes back and says, no, we're not doing it. That's one guy. There's another one who have both their bodies and their souls willing to do and nothing's holding them back from donating. Nasalibo, the Nasalibo guy, is the guy who's doing it both body and soul. Nadvarucho is their Ruach wants to do it, not their lave. The Ruach wants to do it, right? But just that, not their heart itself. Both gave. Both gave. But there were the people who were, people were Nudva Rucho. The people who had the Ruach into it, but their bodies not so much. And then so Libo, the person who had both their hearts and souls that were into it. On the other hand, there is an Itziv that says the exact opposite. And this goes to your point before, Shlomo, what you just said up above. Some people give because they feel bad they didn't give. When they know other people are giving, there's an expectation. So if their name's not there, so those guys... They don't want to be punished if they don't give anything. So they give. That's Nisoli bum. They feel like they have to give, so they do it. They're going to be rewarded for their efforts, but that's not what Hashem wants. Says the Nitziv, Nadvarucho are the people who give it because their Seichel tells them to do it. They do it because it's the right thing. That's the idea of Hannah. The Chida says there are those that say that Tzedakah is like Kadshim. The Chida says this famously, right, that if a person decides he wants to give Tzedakah, he may have to give it. For example, let's give an example. Mishloch comes into Shoal, right? You see him from the side. 
So you take out a dollar, halavai people would do this. You take out a dollar and you're ready for when he comes. You put the dollar down on the table. You're waiting for him to stop by. He doesn't come to you. For whatever reason, he doesn't come to you. But you don't realize it. You don't go after him. And then all of a sudden you look back. Where'd the guy go? And he's gone. He's not there anymore. What do you do with that dollar? Are you allowed to put it back in your wallet and use it for yourself? Or is it already donated to tzedakah because you took it out of your wallet to give over to this guy, even though you never did it, but you thought that you wanted to do it or not. So the, the Chidah says that if a person, it depends a little bit, if a person was gomar belibo, he decided he's going to do it, and it's a full decision. It is fully made inside there, right? That's different from someone who's nasa belibo. He thought about doing it. Gomar belibo may be a chiyuv. That might be like bringing a korban or saying something is hectish, that if you just do it in your mind, it's possible that it's already decided and there's nothing you can do about it. And that tzedakah hits that category. So if you took out that dollar, that dollar must be used for tzedakah. It doesn't necessarily have to be used for that specific mishulah, so you don't have to go run after him or find out who he was, but you do have to give it to tzedakah. That's gummer belibo. But nasa belibo, or I think to myself, you know what? I think I might want to give tzedakah. And it comes up in my heart. But I didn't decide. I didn't take money out of my wallet. I didn't even say who I'm going to give it to. That might be a different story. Here, in this case, says the Chidah, even those that were Nadba Rucho, they decided they wanted to give, or Niso Libo, it really went into the heart, and they really wanted to do so, either way, they gave. Anything that came up into their heads when Hashem, when Moshe Rabbeinu announced them that they're building a Mishkan, all of them gave, and each one of them had a separate reason for it, either one of the two, but he decided, this is what I'm going to do, and that's it. They decided, and that was the idea behind it. The Malbim also brings us down. And again, I, I know that I'm getting into this issue a little bit much, but it really is the real difference between the Lave and the Ruach. He says there's a difference. Says the Malbim, an Adiv Lave, a person who's generous of the heart, and Adiv Ruach. He says the Ruach is more internal than the heart. This has to do with the Ksav, the Kabbalah that we just mentioned, technically the Chassam Sofer from up above, right, as well as the Orachayim Kadosh. He says the Ruach is more internal. The, the Ruach is able to bring out these imaginary pictures. It has this idea that's within his head of what a person wants. And it brings it then to the heart to understand exactly what to do to accomplish it properly. Meaning, the Ruach says, here's what I think is the best thing. And you can imagine yourself doing something. And the lathe promises it or finishes it off and says, here's what I'm going to do. The decision making is right over there. There are people who have lofty thoughts, he says. But in the end, they can't fulfill what their desires are. They just can't do it. There are other people who have desires, real desires, but their thoughts cannot imagine a way for them to do it. The point, the Malbim says over here, is that these people had great qualities. They were in a Sonli bum. Their decision-making was proper and good. Some people can't make those decisions. Decisions aren't easy for everybody to make, but they made good decisions on what they wanted to do and when, and the others were Nadva Rucham. They thought of other good things to do which were positive, and they allowed both of those things to go together, it was a positive. So it's not individual people, a Nud Varucho and a Solibo guy. It's together it formed a full person in which he thought of ideas to do and then followed through with it itself. And that, the idea of Hirsch says, leave his thought while Ruach is the inner man, the inner thought of action. He goes the similar, but seemingly a little bit different, just in the opposite. Ksav Sofer says an unbelievable Yushalmi. He says, Yushalmi Shkalem, Aleph Aleph. Sounds like everyone in Klau Yisrael donated to the Egel Azov. The Gemara even asks it. It's like, how could that be? Did they really all donate to the Egel Azov? Look, the Erev Rav were for sure all involved. I get that, right? There were other people, 600, 3,000 Jews that were fully involved. But really, was everyone involved in the Egel Azov? 
So the Ksav Sofer, the Ksav Sofer son, suggests the following. It's a funny answer, and I, I'm, I'm so not, I'm not sold on it, but I want you to hear it. Listen to what he says. He says, there were different people who donated. There were some people who really wanted the Egel Azov. So they were all in. They gave Belayv Shalom. They were 100% in. They took out their wallets. They opened it up. They're like, what do you want? And just gave as much money as they could. They were all in. Others laughed at them, but they still gave something. Some gave because they didn't want to fight these guys. They were just like, yeah, 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 just take a dollar, just get away from me. You know, like the Hare Krishnas in like, you know, somewhere. And you're just like, I, whatever, dude, I just don't want to deal with you right now. So here's a dollar and just take it. And they just did it. Not that they believed in the Egel Azov, but they just wanted these guys out of their faces. Others did it so people wouldn't think that they were being cheap. Because obviously we're Jews, right? So that was a problem. So obviously once they got that, so some people were like, all right, we'll give, we'll give. I, I don't want you to think that we have absolutely nothing. So they went in and did it. Others wanted to be the top billing. You know what I'm saying? They wanted to be like, okay, yeah, but I need the plaque. And I need the plaque to say exactly this, right? And they wanted to put that, so they gave them. Not because, again, those three people did not believe in the Eagle of They really didn't think it was Khashoggi at all. But they still gave. And that, says the Ksav Sofer, was all of Klal Yisrael. All of Klal Yisrael fit into these categories. That nobody, there was nobody who didn't give. Now, obviously, we know there had to have been people that didn't give. There's no way Hor gave. Aaron, I guess, gave of his time, but he didn't give any money, right? Yosh was sitting on the bottom of the mountain. They're clearly, and the women didn't give anything whatsoever. But the wording in the Yushalmi and Shkalim sounds like everyone gave to the Egel itself, but just for different reasons. Very, very different reasons. It could be that everyone gave by the Mishkan as well. That everyone gave, but not everyone was happy about it. And it seems like not everybody was all into it. That's why this Pusik says, says the Ksav Sofer, that this was a little bit different. They gave for reasons, good reasons. Some of them may have had in the back of their mind, I'd like to be known as the guy who donated the menorah. I'd like to be known as the person who donated the con for the, for, you know, for the kior. Maybe some people had that in their minds, but at the end of the day, everybody gave because they knew there was the right thing to do. And not only that, says the Ksav Sofer, but it was Nadva Rucho Oso. It was Nadva Rucho Oso. That's an extra word. You don't have to say that their heart, their spirits made them donate the word Word oh so to be added over here. What it means is not only it's because what they wanted to do, they looked at others, saw what they gave, and decided to give something on their own. It's natural to know what others gave so you don't feel. They didn't even feel that way. They were willing to do it on their own, even if they wouldn't have known that other people were giving. And that was something that was special. That if you know that no one else is giving, that's a very, very different story. I was just dealing with somebody this week. I was dealing with something for raising money for um for for the Rebbeim in for a bonus for a Pesach bonus. And I talked to a guy and he said, How much are other people giving? So I said, you know, most people are giving three sixty, a thousand, you know, that's what they're doing, right? So I wanted to know what do you want to do? So he's like, All right, all right, I'm gonna give. So I was like all happy. I'm like, great, all right? He gives me a check. One hundred. I was totally okay with it. I'm totally okay with that. Because every everything will work and everything goes up. I just had that expectation that something was a little bit different. But you know what's good about that? That's really the Nudva Oso. That's really what the Ksav Sofer is saying. He's not giving because everybody else is giving. He's doing what he wants to do. Not just because everybody else. So maybe you'd feel like, all right, well, I'm doing that because every... He's doing what he wants to do in that place itself. And that's an important thing for everybody. Now, the Ramban argues. He says, going off of everything we just said, he said, there's no way this Pusik is talking about donors. Why? Because the Lushen by these donors, it doesn't say Niso Libo by donors ever. Nud Baruchel maybe, Nud Libo, I guess is a more one. But that's that. He said, these were people who felt that they could do 
what the Mishkan was asking them to do. I want you to think about this for a second. These people had been slaves in Mitzrayim. Clearly they had not worked on anything other than making bricks and building up, not the pyramids, but something like the pyramids in Mitzrayim itself. None of them were artisans. Certainly none of them were able to work with precious materials, such as the stones that they had to use for the Choshen and for the Avnia Aphod, right? For anything they had to do to be able to make the Aphod. Who put together all this stuff? Says the Ramban, they felt like they could. They felt it. They felt in their hearts and their spirits. They were like, you know what? Maybe we could do it. And Moshe Rabbeinu looked at them. Have you done this before? No. But Saul looked at them. Do you have any experience in this? No. But I feel like I can do it. There was a little bit of gaiva by them. They had that ego. And they looked at Moshe Rabbeinu and said, we want to do it. We're going to try. So they gave them everything. And they were like these, you know, seven-year-olds in China. They were able to put together the craziest things. And everything was done. And like all of a sudden, they were like, oh my gosh. They did everything. They didn't even need child labor. It was perfectly done with all these people who had never practiced, never done anything whatsoever. And they did it. That's the Nassau Depot. They got it there. And the Abarbanel says the exact same thing. There were people there who felt that they could do the work themselves. They didn't want to hire out. So when Bitsalo was like, wait, we have nobody here who's ever done this before. We have nobody here. And, you know, Joe Schmo was just like, yeah, I can do this. I can do it. Right? I know I've never done it before, but I'm positive. And then Kim Pinchas and Pinchas, not Pinchas, the real Pinchas, but another Pinchas, he's like, Pinchas, you know, Friedman, he's getting up there and he's like, I got this, I got this one, right? And everybody's getting together and they were able to do the craziest things and that's the Nassau Libo, right? And that's that. Some people couldn't, so they donated resources. They were the ones who donated the gold and the silver and everything else out there. But some of the people donated themselves. They did it. That's the idea behind it. We see the same thing by Shlomo when he built the base of Mikdash, although obviously by that time the people were artisans and they knew what they were doing. But nonetheless, they did have to hire out Hiram, the king of Tzur, in order to come in and even Hiram of who was a Jew who ended up marrying out and whatever it is, they called those people in. But the artisans were Klal Yisrael. There were people involved from Klal Yisrael and a round-robin sort of thing. There were 30,000 people at a time that were working, doing the work that had to be done because that's all there. Yeah, Shlomo. I, I, yeah, meaning that's their donation to a Baruch Hu. They brought what was, had to be donated to Hashem, and the biggest thing that they needed was the work. It's a very similar Lushan to what it was in Malachim Aleph by Shlomo Melech. A very similar Lushan. I forgot exactly what it was. But yeah, that's how the, the Ramban would look at this Pasuk. Targum Yonasan says something weird. Something weird. He says, Nadvarucho means they felt the spirit of Nevuah was within them. So they would know how to create everything they would need and everything else they would need for it. Now, the truth is, the Targum doesn't say anything about what the Nevuah was. They just felt this spiritual upliftingness of Nevuah. And they were like, okay, let's get in. Let's do it. Let, let's, start, let's start doing what we're doing. So the Malbim wonders. It sounds like from Targum Yonasan, it was only Nevi'im who donated and not anybody else. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like those who had Nevoah gave the donations, but nobody else did. If you didn't have Nevoah, you couldn't bring it. As a timeout, by the way, I'm not so bothered by the question. Every single person in Klai was a Navi at this time. Every single one of them had seen HaKadosh Baruch Hu at Har Sinai and had experienced the Kisya Kavod at Kriyas Yamsuf. Everyone, even the biggest Shifcha, the lowest Shifcha, I should say, had experienced such things. They were all Nevi'im. So I'm not so bothered by the question of the Malbim of like, what, only the Nevi'im brought? Yes, everybody who was a Navi brought because they were all Nevi'im. But 
I get the question because that's clearly not the message of Targum Yonason. What does Targum mean by saying such a thing that they're out like that? So he says the following. He says, the purpose of the Mishkan was for a place to have the Shekhinah rest upon them. That is Mishkan, right? A dwelling place of the Shekhinah. That's the word, right? Etymologically, it makes sense that the word Shekhinah has to do with the Mishkan itself. The people themselves should be the repository for that Shekhinah. They should be the ones who have the Shekhinah with them at all times. The problem is that they're not always on the highest level. So since the people could not be that area where the Shekhinah is there at all times, therefore there had to be a place where the Shekhinah would be, where they could go and uplift themselves and become places where the Shekhinah could give them the right Shefa and to be the per- people that they were supposed to be. That's the idea behind it. However, there were some people among them who were really great. And those people they could have their own little mini mishkans on themselves. They could have Ashra Sashkina, the Shrina resting upon them. They don't need a mishkan. They are the mishkan. Their own hearts, their own selves. They are the mishkan itself. So forget about the mishkan itself. There's no need to donate. They don't even need big day kahuna. They have their own big day kahuna. Every piece of clothing they put on is meant with the right kavanos of what a Kaddish Baruch wants them to wear clothing for. If you got up in the morning and you clearly said, and again, this is a hard thing to do, to get up and say, I am going to spend this entire day donating my entire life to a Kaddish Baruch I'm going to do everything he wants me to do. Learning, chesed, everything. I'm going to dive and I'm going to do everything. Then putting on your shirt and putting on your pants in the morning is putting on the big day kuna gedola. You're doing the same avoda that the Kohen is doing in the base of Mikdash, in the Mishkan. You're just doing it in your own way. That's how the Malbim puts it over here. This person who did this, who's Nadvarucho, who feels like he is the repository for the Shekhinah. He's the area where the Shekhinah is. He is the Mishkan. He donated the whole thing. That's the Nidivas Rucho. Some gave money. Some gave time, like we just learned from the Ramban and from the Abarbanel. Some became the Mishkan themselves. And that's the hint from the Targum Yonason. What a beautiful shot. That's the idea how the Malbim understands it. Rechiel Michel Feinstein says that the Nevuah is not just knowing the future. A point Nevuah is not just like, oh, I know what's going to be. Obviously, that's part of Nevuah. But Nevuah is the ability to expand one's heart, one's ability to understand things that you didn't know beforehand, the ability to be there. The Rambam says in Hilchus Yisodiyah Torah, it's in Perak Zayin Alach Nevuah could be just for yourself. It's not about telling it over to other people. To broaden your own horizons, to see things that you never knew, and all of a sudden to understand things and get things that weren't supposed to be known. Maybe that's what Targum Yonason is saying over here. They were able to understand things about the Mishkan that they would not have known otherwise. Bitsawa was able to be Metzarif, the Aleph base, and create worlds by creating the Mishkan. By building a Mishkan, he was able to do things that nobody else was able to do. That's what they were doing. And it caused them to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu more and more because of that. They had a connection with God that no one else did. Since it required a certain amount of Kavanah when they put into it, that was the idea of what Targum Yonason means, that they had a Nevuah within them. Not just Nevuah, but an ability to understand things that no one else understood, like Bitsala being able to be Mitzarif, the, the world, by doing what he did, perhaps every builder felt that in himself. They all felt that, and that's what it means by these people had Nevuah. That was the Nevuah right there. Now there's a Benishchai. 
So I, I, it's so funny because I have like my sets farm. That, those who've been in my house, you see, like I have my chumash farm like right behind where I sit. Like all my Gemara stuff is right on this side. And the halacha is right there, but I have my chumash farm right there because what I usually do on Friday night is I go over to this farm that I want to do for the upcoming week and whatever it is, and I go through everything. So I normally don't pick up my farm that I have from the Benish Chai. I have six farm from the Benish Chai, and I did them all at one point. I, it's just for you, okay? Just for you. I'm just doing this for you, right? But like I pick them. I, I've learned them all through there. Deris Elio is one of my favorites, Odio Sifchai. But it's almost impossible to use what he says in the Parsha because the Spartic way of Drush and the way they learn up Parsha is totally different from everyone else. Like, it's just totally different. Like, I have a set of Abir Yaakov's from Rabbi Yaakov Abuchatzerah, the grandfather of the Baba Sali. It is nearly impossible to use. I use it, but I'm like, I don't know what's going on 99% of the time. It's just, everything is about the Neshama and about the Nefesh and figuring things out from one to the other. There's another safe that I have from Rabbi Yaakov It's just like, these Svarim are just way, way beyond what I'm used to. So I use the one I have. So I don't know why, but I felt like I, I picked this up. I think it was last. I don't remember. I think... I, last Thursday, and I was going, and I just picked up in a Derisilio, and I looked at uh, the Odiosef guy, the white one, right? And I picked it up, and I was like, "All right, let's see if he has anything on this pasuk." And he had like four pages on it, and I'm like, "No way!" So I made copies really quickly, and I did this on the plane on my way back. So he says the following: He says he wonders about that word nisolibo. What does that mean? What does it mean to have a lifted up heart? We've spoken a couple answers already, but listen to what he says here. He says, it brings you Shalmi. This is in Horius in the third parak. It says, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Akiva, we're all going to the market in Antioch. I think I have the right place, right? Antioch, right? That said, you were collecting money for the Chachamim. There was one man there, His man, this man's name was Abba Yehuda. He gave a lot of money to Tzedakah, but at this point, he had lost a lot of money. He had absolutely no money to give. He was really upset about it. So when the Chachamim came by, he hid. He hid. He didn't, want, he didn't want them to see him because he knew he felt bad that he couldn't give anything to the Chachamim. Eventually, he went home and he was really, really upset. He got home and his wife said to him, what are you so upset about? Why are you so upset today? So he said, Abi would have told her, I really wanted to give to the Chachamim, but I know I don't have any money. Business is not going well lately. I'm not sure what to do. So Benishai said his wife was way better and way smarter than him, which is true by almost everybody. Almost everybody, but 99% of people, right? Myself included, right? It's true, right? Their wife is 100% better. So he said, she said, oh, don't worry about this. You have one field left, right? You have one field left? He said, yeah, I have one field left. She said, sell half the field. Take half the field, sell it, take that money, and go give it to the Chachamim. You won't have to worry about anything. You have a half a field. A Kaddish Baruch can give you your parnas in one field. Same thing in half a field. Go ahead and sell it and go give it to the Chachamim. He said, really? You'll like, yeah? Okay. He goes, sells half the field. Right, gives the money over the Chachamim happily to Rabbi Akiva, to Rabbi Yeshua, to Rabbi Eliezer. They're all super happy. They gave him a bracha. They said, Abba Yehuda, may Hashem give you what you're missing. I don't know if they knew that he was poor, that he didn't have anything, but they was willing to give. They said, may Hashem be memale chasroncha. Everything that you're missing, HaKadosh Baruch should make sure that you have everything that you need. He then went to go plow the other half of the field, right? The other half of the field there. And his cow fell into a little bit of a hole. You already know where this story is going, right? Fell into a little hole. He's like, oh, hey, my cow, right? And my only cow, right? And then he looks inside and he sees that there's tremendous amounts of gold and a huge treasure that's down there inside the hole. Right? That's that. The next time, then he was like, oh, man, I could have kept the other half of the field and I'd still... No, I'm joking. <laughs> Obviously. So the next time that the Chachamim came in, right, by that time, Abba Yehuda, right, 
be, had become a hugely wealthy man. He was taking care of all the poor people of the city. He gave a way bigger donation than he had given the first time, where he made sure that they had everything that they needed, and he attributed everything, as he should have, to the Chachamim's bracha, saying it was the Chachamim's bracha. They told him, right, that they gave him that bracha because they knew that his bra- that his what that that donation was given with a full heart and a true desire to help. So here's how the Ben Ishchai explains. He says when a person gives tzedakah happily because he wants to and he's involved. And we said an answer like this up above, right? When he does it that way, he's written in a safer up above, a safer of those who give tzedakah happily with a happy countenance with the punim yafos. You're written in that safer. When that safer is filled up. When it's filled up, once the names are filled and the safer is finished, they write it all in, they finish the safer, they close it, and at that moment, Shefa is thrown down to the earth. There's unbelievable influence of riches that come down to the earth that allows it. He was the last person to be written in that particular safer, says the Ben Ishai. <laughs> the Ben Ishai knows this is amazing. He was the last person, Abiyud was the last person to be written in that particular safer. So as soon as he finished, the safer got emptied out on his head, and therefore there were no riches there before he had sold his half of the field. But somehow after he had sold it, all the riches found themselves down inside the field, right underneath there. It was a shefa that was brought to him right then at that moment. And that's why he became wealthy. And that's what Niso Libo is. If a person can be lifted up by his donation, if he feels happier, if he feels like this is what I want to do, then that's written in the safer above. He is lifted up into the safer above. He's put into that safer. And who knows what can happen once you're in that safer? Absolutely anything can happen. There's another important point to make over here. The Ben Ishkai says this as well. This, I think I found, it's not in the Odeus. I think this might be in that Deris Leo. It's a huge point, but I think it's connected with this. Okay, a person should always think he is not giving enough. That he doesn't have enough, that he's not giving the amount that he should be giving. If you give 100, you should think to yourself, I should have done 180. You give 180, think to yourself, maybe I should have given 250. 250, you should have been like, ah, I, I, I could have done 360. And always think to yourself that don't feel bad about what you did, just the opposite. Feel like, I wish and I want, I, I think I'm gonna give more next time. I always want to do it. There's one person that I have in Shoal, every single time that there's something that we're collecting for, he goes a few dollars more. At one point, it's like 180, and then it's 183, and then it's 187, and then it's 190. Always, like raising himself up, he's now up to 3607. That's not bad, right? That's not bad. 3607 is a good amount. But that's what happens when you keep raising yourself and going up and up and up, and I keep asking for money. I think that's the most important part, right? Once that happens, then all of a sudden, it just keeps going more and more and more and more. He says the important part behind that is that way you'll never have gaiva about what you've done. You'll never feel like I did enough. Look at what I was able to do. You always feel like, but I should have done more. So you always knock yourself down a little bit and then you'll get scar because of that. He says the following. He says, that unbelievable story again. He says, once there were two partners who were both very wealthy, right? They made a certain deal. What they did was they shipped off a lot of merchandise to another area where they knew that merchandise was in demand, right? And they decided, they expected they were going to make a lot of money on it. They put 10,000 down, 10,000 gold pieces down, whatever it is, and they took 40,000 on credit. They expected to make another 20 to 30,000, right? But they ended up taking 40,000 on credit. In the end, they got a letter back. The merchandise was only sold for 30000 
which means not only did they lose their investment, the 10,000 they put into it, but they owe another 10,000 gold pieces. And it obviously was a lot. They were wealthy people and putting in 10,000 was already a lot, right? And that's that. So they were really, really upset. They owed $20,000. So one of the partners just couldn't handle it. He went to sleep that night. He was unbelievably upset, tossing and turning all night long. His wife said to him, what's wrong? This wife wasn't as smart, I guess, right? And she didn't have any good advice for him, right? So he was tossing and turning. He woke up in the morning. He could barely daven in the morning. He was super upset. He got into the office in the morning. He sees his other partner. The other partner's like super chirpy and not like happy. He's just like, hey, what's going on? How's everything going? And he's like, are you not upset? And he said, yeah, I'm upset. He's like, well, why aren't you showing it? He said, well, the truth is, is that I thought to myself, look, if we could lose 20,000 golden pieces on one deal, right, then HaKadosh Baruch easily can make us net 30,000 on the next deal. It's like, yeah, we lost 20,000 in this deal. But it's so easy to lose 20. It's so easy to make another 30. We just have to put ourselves out there. We have to go to the next deal. We'll find ourselves the next thing. And that's that. This happens all the time in business. Something you expected, you're going to make money off of. You made absolutely nothing. Something you never expected to make anything off of. All of a sudden, you make a ton off of. So you do what you need to do and you get around there. That's it. I feel like the money's already in my pocket. That's how the Ben Yishchai says, when it comes to giving tzedakah, that's how a person has to feel. He has to feel at all times that they already have that money. They already have that wealth back. And we know that the money that we give out is something that's already there. When people act like Niso Libo, that it's already there, they're already wealthy. They already are the wealthiest and that we could give more. Then their donations will have been done in the right way. They'll feel like they gave what they need to do and everything's in the right way. And Adaris Elio says, just never get, he kept, he says it over and over and over again, never get depressed when it comes to money matters. When it seems like you lost and you lost and you lost and you lost, right? And it's easy to say, it's much harder to deal with it at that time. When a person's involved, have that upbeat attitude, he says. Put yourself into that, that desire to do more and to get more and you'll have it. And with that upbeat, that optimistic attitude of, I'm going to do this. This is going to be good. This is what I want for myself. Building yourself up, then you're never you're never going to have the Yitzhar knocking you down and telling you you can't do it. You don't have it. Build yourself up and don't allow yourself to be knocked down. The truth is, we think of donating as something static. Something is you just give money to others. You let them figure out what they're going to do and that's that. But sometimes, he says, the best donation is something that allows the other people to see what they really need in the first place. I found this story in Alain Lushbech. I had to read it three times to make sure that I understood it completely. This is what Zilverstein said. It's an unbelievable story. He says, one time, there was a young Rebbe in an out-of-town area, right? It sounded like he passed away, and he left, unfortunately, a widow and a few children. And it was very, very sad, right? Obviously, there wasn't enough to go around, right? I don't know if there was life insurance. There wasn't life insurance. He should have had life insurance. Everybody should have. Regardless, he didn't have it, and that's that. So they didn't know what to do. The widow had never worked before this. There's no money to rely on from the family. There was nothing there. And the widow had never worked beforehand. She always relied on her husband's meager salary. And they were living like these lives that, you know, this cola life that was unbelievable, but they really didn't have anything whatsoever. So she had no idea what to do. There was a young Yerushalmi who lived in the area who heard about this story, right? He heard about everything that was there and he tried to think to himself, what could I do to help out this widow? Happened to be that this Yerushalmi had a recipe for a certain type of jam. And the jam was finger-licking delicious. That's, that's why it took me so long to understand parts of the story. I could not understand what it was saying. But the words are finger-licking delicious. Okay? That's what it was. I should have written the actual Hebrew inside here. But that's that. So, and he wouldn't share it with anybody. He wouldn't share the recipe. He would make it every Chag. Pesach Shuasukis. He would make this recipe and everybody loved it. It was this unbelievable thing. Right? And everybody thought it was unbelievable. And that's that. The Avreich sent his wife, this Yushalmi, sent his wife over to the widow, to the new widow. 
you know, some days after the shiva was over and everything like that, and told her that they would make a deal. She would buy all, she would buy the ingredients that he needed to make it, and the jars to be able to put the jam inside. He would, she would deliver it over to their house, and this Yushalmi guy would make the jam, put it inside the jars, and she would sell it out of her house. And word would pass around to everybody. Everybody heard about this unbelievable jam that this widow was making. And they wanted, obviously, to support a widow that obviously needed Parnosa. Right? And everybody started buying from her. So they took money and everybody was able to do this and that and the other. And she ended up keeping all of the profits from everything. And this Yushalmi was able to do it for her. He wasn't making any money off this anyway. He figured, like, I do it for fun or whatever it is. Now I'm going to do it specifically for her. The widow made a Parnosa Berevach a nice parnasa, maybe even the amount that her husband was making beforehand, this tzaddik continued to do this until she was able to find something else to do. Think of what kind of a chesed that is. There's one thing, again, we were talking before about niso libo nadverucho, being able to, the Ramban says, to be able to donate your body so you know what you can do and you allow yourself to do it. And the other people are donating money and everybody does their thing and they come together and it's all good. Think of the idea of allowing someone not only to figure out you're giving that person a parnasa, but allowing them to to feel like they're not just taking money from you, they're doing it because they're earning it and doing something themselves. That's the greatest way of making an adava in the first place. Allowing you to teach a man, right? You give a man a fish, obviously, he eats it and that's that. You teach a man to fish, he's going to be able to do it for the rest of his life. And that's exactly what the Yushalmi did, this Yushalmi guy did. It's not about donating money, it's coming up with ideas to help others. That's the true Nisa'olibo. Lifting up your heart and thinking to yourself, what can I do to make it happen? You know, we said before the Malbim, the Ruach is the imagination and the Lave is the decisor. What's going to be? Think to yourself, what can I do to make this happen? And then go ahead and do it. Get your Ruach involved and your Lave involved so that when you're giving that tzedakah, when you're doing that donation, you're getting involved in every way possible. Stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.